into the earth on one holy night in a way that I don't understand. How could someone so great be born in this way in a stable? But that was your plan. It wasn't a chariot or a snow white horse, no fanfare or praise from all men. But you made yourself nothing. And I think that's something that I never can comprehend. You said we're worth it, sinners like us. I can't believe that purchase and what you gave up. So I.
Was that, was that really coming over? That was coming out there. Glory breaking through the dark. Oh. I didn't know if it was going to be there. Here our worlds collide, divinity and man. This great design drawn out for me. Merry Christmas, Crossroads. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's go worship together.
Well, welcome to Crossroads, everyone. We're so glad that you've decided to join us for worship this morning. Uh, don't forget to grab your communion off the side tables and in the back, and go ahead and fill out that connection card for us. It's in the bulletin. You can fold that up and place it in the offering boxes. They're located by the exits. There's a little brown box hanging on the wall with a little red sign above it saying, put the uh, offerings in your uh, connection card there. So we can do that just a little bit. Um, I know you guys are kind of spread out a little bit, but if you could, try to shake hands with somebody new this morning. Wish them a Merry Christmas. <laughs> I never met you in my life. Ever. Never. Tony. Name's Wysak. Wysak. Oh, that's right. I heard about you. <laughs> Night of wonder, still and silent, heaven's brilliance from above. Light of glory, pierced the darkness, mercy pierced my heart with love. This is Jesus, King of glory, here to
You can go ahead and be seated. You know, as I was looking out throughout the congregation at the service before this, uh, a thought kind of crossed my mind just by seeing a couple of faces I hadn't seen for a while. And many of you know that sometimes this time of year can be really, really difficult, especially if you've lost somebody that's close to you. Like if you're a child that's lost a grandpa or if you're a spouse that's lost your lifelong husband or wife or whatever the situation may be. And so it may have been months ago, but now you're kind of facing the first time where you're having a Christmas without that loved one. And it's supposed to be a joyous occasion, but it's hard to find that joy sometimes if we're honest with ourselves. And I think it would be a shame if we didn't take as an opportunity as a church to pray for one of one another, especially if you know somebody directly that's going through that kind of pain of loss, where they're going to spend this first Christmas without that special person. Because the reality is, is the only person that's going to truly fill that void in their life is Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and spend a few moments in prayer together. If there's somebody on your heart, just lift them up for the next 30, 30 or so seconds. Let's pray together. Yeah. 
worship this morning was an offering pleasing and acceptable to you. Thank you so much for the uh, church family that can surround each other with love when we're dealing with difficult times of loss or whatever else. Just pray that we can be there for each other in a new and mighty way. For your son's name's sake, Jesus, it's all about you. We love and we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Christmas is a week away. It seems like just yesterday it was, you know, September and Christmas season was starting at Lowe's and Home Depot when they put all the stuff out. And now here it is just a week away and it's Christmas. Who uh, is completely done shopping, wrapping presents? You're completely done. It's all under the tree. It's all ready to go. Who's completely done? Yeah, you all make me sick. (laughs) Who hasn't started yet? You're my people. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, pretty proud of myself this year. I think I have wrapped three presents under our tree, um, one of which may or may not be for myself. Um, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. It seems like, I don't know if it's just the older I get, the more years go by, it just seems to go faster and faster every single year. And it's crazy to think that uh, now here we are in the, the you know, middle of December and it's a week away. But uh, we're going to wrap up our series today called The Low-Key Christmas. Next week we'll have our Christmas Eve services here. Uh, we'll talk about those here in just a little bit. But as we get ready to wrap this, uh, this series up today, I want you just to think back about what Christmas has kind of always meant to you. Like maybe as a kid or maybe as a younger adult or where you're at now, what does Christmas mean to you? What's Christmas looked like for you? I know for me as a kid, uh, you know, my, both sides of my family are in the same, not necessarily the same town, but two neighboring towns. So it's not like we really had to travel, you know, it, the whole over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go thing didn't really apply to us. It was drive past Walmart in the cemetery and take a right and there you're at grandma's house. And that's what we would do on Christmas Eve night. We would go over to my dad's side of the family and spend time there Christmas morning at my mom's side. Uh, depending on my dad's work schedule, he had to work as, as a police officer on uh, morning, so if Christmas fell on a day he worked, sometimes we'd just do Christmas at our house for Christmas Eve when we got home. But, you know, that was what Christmas looked like for us. And as Jennifer and I have, you know, kind of built our family, especially since we moved and ministry's been involved, we've really not established any traditions, mostly because of Christmas Eve services. Our church in Oregon, we had them. Here we've got them. So that's kind of become our new tradition is here with you all on Christmas Eve, and then we'll figure out the rest from there. But uh, when we talk about Christmas, I'm curious, what, it, what does it mean to you? Is Christmas for you the, the season of giving? Is it the season of peace? We talked a lot about that the last few weeks, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Is it the season of family and friends? What does Christmas mean to you? Uh, for so many, Christmas is a season of hope. That's kind of what we're going to talk about today is, is hope, and I thought about that when I was preparing this because my kids were watching Home Alone this week, and uh, talking about Christmas being the season of hope, we saw the scene where <clears throat> Kevin's mom is in the airport and she's banging on the counter and it seems like she's stuck, and Christmas is the season of hope, 
which by the way, as a kid, I never knew that was Scranton for all you Office fans out there. That's where she was stuck. She could have just called Michael Scott for help and he would have come and bailed her out. But we see Christmas is a season of hope. Christmas concludes the Advent season. I don't know how many of you observe or keep Advent and kind of keep track of that. Advent is the season that kind of goes the month of December where you anticipate. And it reflects back to the Israelites anticipating and waiting for uh, the, the, the coming of God, the coming of the Messiah. We always talk about doing Advent and we think, this is going to be fun, let's do this. And then by the middle of December, we're like, yeah, we kind of forgot to start that. And now it's a little bit too late to start that. But it goes back to the, the waiting the Israelites had, centuries upon centuries of waiting for their Messiah to come, centuries upon centuries of waiting in darkness for light to show up. The prophet Isaiah, centuries before Jesus came, said these words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, darkness is funny. Because darkness can't just overcome light. The only way darkness shows up is if light goes away. But sometimes our lights kind of fade a little bit and darkness creeps in. And when darkness creeps in, it almost does it so slowly and subtly you may not notice it until suddenly it's pretty dark. Like if you've ever been out doing something of an evening, maybe guys playing golf or something like that, and suddenly you just can't really see your ball anymore. Like you just, it's just out far enough and you, there's just not enough light. It's suddenly just a little too dark and it started to wrap its way around everything that you're doing. And that happens with our lives sometimes too. Darkness creeps in. And I don't, I don't want to show of hands or, or anything here. I'm just curious if, if you could answer this for yourself. How many of you, you'd say darkness has crept in kind of right now. There's darkness where you're at. You, maybe you're completely enveloped in the darkness. And, and it's wrapped you so tight that you can't see. Even the things that you know are around you, you can't see them. I, I kind of experience this every once in a while, just walking through my house at night. I'm not afraid of the dark, but I am afraid of what I might trip on or step on in the dark, especially walking through my kids' rooms with bare feet. Uh, Titus's room especially, every toy he has has so many pieces. He's got all these car and train tracks that have loops that are perfect height for my foot to catch as I'm taking a step. And, and the girls' rooms are just as bad. It's clothes and towels and all sorts of stuff all over there that you could easily catch a foot on. And so if I walk into any room that's dark, even though it's my house and I know, the, I know how many steps it is from the bathroom door to my bed and the wall and all of that, sometimes I'll pull my phone out, turn the light on for just a second so I can just see what's there. Turn it right back off, got a map in my mind, I can move forward now. But sometimes we don't have that. And even though you think you know where you're at, you have to kind of feel your way around just a little bit. That's how it was for the world 2,000 years ago. They thought they knew where they were at, but it had been dark for centuries. God was silent for 400 years before the time of Jesus. If you look through your Bibles and you get to that blank piece of paper between Malachi and Matthew, what separates the Old Testament and the New Testament, that blank sheet of paper represents 400 years of God being silent, not speaking through a prophet or to a nation or anyone else. And Israel by this time had come under the rule of so many other kingdoms. By this point in time, it's the Romans. The Romans had come in and really squashed all hope that, that Israel might have. They owned them, they, they ruled them, and because of that, the Israelites couldn't see a sliver of light anywhere in front of them. And maybe that's, again, where you're at today. Maybe you feel just completely overwhelmed, completely lost, completely hopeless. Darkness will do that. 
Darkness can intimidate. It can be intimidating. It causes fear. It squashes hope. But here's the thing about darkness. It can't handle light. There's no contest between light and darkness anywhere. If light comes on, darkness has no choice but to vanish. The light comes on, darkness is gone. And the only way the darkness wins is if the light goes off or starts to fade. And that's what Christmas is about. A light that came into the darkness so the darkness would have to flee. God, I think, saw that, that the darkness was starting to overwhelm the world, that his people were lost, that they were crying out, wondering if he's even still there. It's been centuries since we've heard from you. It, we, we hear these stories passed down from our parents and grandparents and through the generations, and at this point, it just has to seem like a fairy tale. God, I think, looked at that and said, okay, that's enough. And he sent his son to be the light of the world. His son that had always been there with them. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God, and Jesus was God. He was there all along. He was there active in creation. The next couple of verses say that everything that was created was created through him. And then he watched that creation reject him and rebel and, and run away into the darkness and invite the darkness in. And just like it did with, or does with so many of us today, it eventually enveloped the world and left the world feeling suffocated and lost. Let me ask you a question. Where... When you find yourself in darkness, where do you go? Where does your mind go? Where does your mind take you? Where does your heart take you? Do you find your way through it to the light? Or do you do like I do sometimes in my house, and I have my hands out, thinking, okay, I know it's this many steps, but I can't feel it yet. Where's my dog? He's probably on the floor. I'm probably going to trip on him. You kind of look around, feel your way around. Where do you go when you're in the darkness? What is it that you reach for? What is it that you try to cling to? Do you cry out to God praying for an answer? Or do you just kind of cower down because you think the Lord of all creation is too busy? Or he's not interested? That's how it was 2,000 years ago. They found themselves lost. They found themselves in a darkness that for so many had lasted so long, they assumed the light had been extinguished. But then God showed up. The good news came and it came in the form of a baby boy on that first Christmas night. The hope and the promise that comes with a baby. Think about that, because in, in having our three kids, you know, we've gone through the, the birth process. I shouldn't say we, I'll be honest. My wife went through the birth process. I was in the room getting screamed at, um, so I feel like I suffered along with her with that. But, you know, that's another, another conversation for another, another day in time. But we watch our kids grow. And like you, if you watch your kids grow, there's the hope and the promise of what they could be. And I look at my three kids and what they are and what they represent. I've got Elsie, who's in sixth grade. And Elsie's in that, absolutely in that preteen, tween stage, whatever you want to call it, where everything is extreme. Nothing is normal. Everything is extreme. If it's good, it's the best ever. And she's the best ever. If it's bad, it's horrible. And nobody loves her. There's no in between. It's exhausting in this stage of parenting right now. And we try to fight through that as much as we can with her. And when we get through that, what do you see? You see this young girl who has some talents, has some gifts that God's given her, and she just wants to use them. And she wants people to see them because she wants people to see what she can do because she thinks people might come to church because of it. You got Amelie, my, my third grader, who is the exact opposite of Elsie. Amelie is dorky and, and 
aloof and funny and goofy and can't be embarrassed. She teams up with me when I embarrass Elsie. It's a great little duo that we'll have, you know, pulling up in the, the drop-off line with, you know, something like Chattahoochee or something blaring through the speakers for everybody to hear, and Elsie's in tears in the back seat. Amelie singing her little lungs out in the front seat. Amelie is just, she's just who she is. She's comfortable, and she loves people. She loves to be with people. She loves to love people, and she's just a natural friend to so many people. You have Titus, and I know I talk a lot about him. He's this bundle of energy, but behind that is a determination that I can't match. It's, it's setting your mind to something, and he will sit there until it's done or figured out. And, and there's just this, this stubbornness that's a good stubbornness within him, that if it's going to get done. I always say that if Titus survives childhood, and that's a fairly big if, he's going to be a leader of something, whether that's a business or a prison gang, I don't know, (laughs) but he's going to lead something. You know, he's just got, he's got that in him, and you've got that with your kids. You could get up here and talk about yours. You could talk about the hope and promise that they have. And I don't mean hope and promise. I don't have hopes and promises that my kids will, will make me this or that or, or do that. I'm talking about for their own lives, for their own stories, for what God has for them. You have that with your kids as well, too. And when we look at what Jesus represented, this baby coming into the world, the hope and promise that he carried is so much beyond what I can have for my own kids or for anybody else's kids. Maybe you're unfamiliar with the Christmas story. Maybe you're not. I mean the Christmas story, not a Christmas story. Uh, This week, I kind of got reminded that those aren't always the same thing. Jennifer asked me if I wanted to go watch this new movie that's coming out. It's a musical based on the Christmas story. I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So she showed me the trailer. I'm like, there's not one mention of a Red Ryder BB gun anywhere in this. There's not one pink bunny costume. Uh, You know, there's none of that. Instead, it's Mary and Joseph singing and dancing in the manger. It it's, looks interesting. Uh, that's another story for another, another time. But if you're unfamiliar with the Christmas story, we're going to camp out there for a little bit today. It's found in two places. There's kind of two angles of this. Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 tell the story from a couple of different perspectives. But what I want to do, instead of just reading through the whole story, is kind of dive bomb these two sets of chapters here. Because when you look through this, I think especially maybe as a parent, as you get a bit older, you can look through this and see it through the eyes of the the main characters, and I think maybe get a little bit more of a sense of what that hope looked like for them. The first person that we notice when we read through the Christmas story, I think obviously is Mary. I mean, aside from Jesus, she's probably the star of the show here. Mary, when the angel appears to her, is young, very young. In fact, a lot of scholars think maybe no more than 13 or 14 years old. Because that's about the age that, that girls in this culture would become women. And when they became women, they were given to men to be married. And, and she, we know that she's been given to Joseph to be married here. But it's around 13 or 14 years old, most likely, that the angel appears to her. In Luke chapter 1, it says, The angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now again, put yourself in her shoes. If you're a young teenage girl, 
and this angel appears to you and says all this to you, what in the world are you thinking? My guess is your mind is spinning. (laughs) Your mind is going just 100 miles an hour, and I'm sure for her there is a lot of confusion. I'm sure there's a lot of fear. But look what she says next in verse 34. How will this be? Because I'm a virgin. Now, Mary obviously has attended that day in a science class where they tell you how this all works, okay? She knows the process, and she says, well, that can't happen because that hasn't happened. And so there's the logical reasoning here. No, I can't possibly be pregnant, she says. But I think her mind starts to go, too, to the whole thought of, okay, let's say I do believe this. Let's say this is real. Okay, now what? Because in this culture, an unwed Pregnant female was not a reputable person anymore. And here's somebody who is engaged to be married to a man, and now she is going to be pregnant, and it's obviously not his. Who's going to buy that story? She's going to go home and say, no, seriously, mom, God did this to me. Like, mom's not buying that story. Dad's not buying that story. Joseph's not buying that story. What she did would have brought incredible shame to her family. And I don't mean a little embarrassment or an awkward conversation that we might have to have in our culture. I mean actual shame, like her family's social status would have been stripped. And not only hers, but Joseph's as well too. And so there's a lot going on for her to process right here. Joseph could have had her stoned to death for for being an adulteress here. But I think beyond that, even if she is able to kind of comprehend all of that, I think there's also, too, the realization that God is trusting her to raise the Messiah. I mean, I just hope my kids grow up and are good people that come to know Christ, that follow him, that, you know, treat people the right way, that do things the right way. That's that's what I'm hoping to raise. I, I was told one time, a long time ago, you don't try to raise good kids, you try to raise good people. That's what I'm trying to raise with my three. I don't have that much pressure I'm not trying to raise the Messiah. (laughs) I'm not trying to raise the Savior of the world. And I wonder if it's crossing Mary's mind. Man, I hope I don't mess this up. (laughs) Because people's lives might be at stake here. There's a lot going on in her mind. And I could see fear. I could see confusion. But the angel reassures her. It says in verse 35, the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive. She's in her sixth month. And look what he says at the end. For no word from God will ever fail. That's what you need to remember when you're facing fear or confusion or whatever whatever it may be. No word from God will ever fail. I was thinking about this this week because I know there's times of darkness that we all face. And that reminder sometimes doesn't always stick. Or like sometimes to me, it's one of those things like you've heard it and you've heard it and heard it to the point where you kind of, it just rolls off. You need to remember that no word from God will ever fail, no matter where you're at in the darkness. And I think with Mary here, we see something that God will still speak encouragement to you through the darkness. And maybe you're like me, sometimes I think it's in the dark times I hear it actually a little bit better. Because for me, sometimes when I'm on like the mountaintop, when things are going really, really well, that's sometimes when I can kind of let go of needing help from other people. And sometimes for me, I include God in that other people. 
It's when you're in that moment of darkness and difficulty that your faith needs to be strong. And it's in those moments that if you listen, you'll hear the encouragement of God. Mary's faith was strong enough to get her through this. It was strong enough to face any fears that she might have had here. It says in verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. I think about this. This is a teenage girl who is facing something that just a few minutes earlier probably had never even crossed her mind. And now she's facing not only what's happening, but everything that comes with it. The, the incredible pressure and social backlash that she's going to get. I know she had doubts and fears, and yet even in the midst of it, she has her hope that she placed in God that, that he would strengthen her and rebuild her and carry her through this. Are you able to do that? Does your faith allow you to do that? The darkness was there for her, and she could have ran and hid from it or went and hid in the darkness. But she clung to the light instead. The second person that we notice in the story, if we have Mary, you have to have Joseph, right? We see Joseph here. Because Joseph kind of is maybe more blindsided than Mary. I don't, I don't know. But Mary had been visited by the angel and had become pregnant. And ladies, you know this. That's not something you can hide for too long. At some point, the truth of that is going to come out. And Joseph does find out. It says in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law but he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph has options here. In this situation, Joseph has the legal, justifiable options to divorce Mary very loudly and throw her under the bus to save his family's social status, to save his family from shame. And there was a lot of pressure to not shame your family, so that would have been the pressure probably his folks were putting him under. Or the pressure maybe coming from another direction to own the mistake, you say, you know what, this was mine. You know, it takes two to tango. And then he's shaming his family. He, he, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here. Or he could just have Mary put to death. Again, he chooses kind of the middle ground here. He's just going to divorce her quietly, let them go their separate ways. That's his plan. But it says in verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Now I think about this because you've got Mary who's visited by an angel. Now Joseph is visited by one in a dream. I've had some pretty vivid dreams in my day. Usually it's chalked up to what I ate after 9 o'clock at night. So I don't know how much Joseph buys this. Is this some hallucination? Did he know for a fact this was an angel? Did he know for a fact this is a message from God? And what do I want to do about it? Joseph had every right to say, I don't believe this. This isn't fair. I had nothing to do with this. I want to walk away from it. <clears throat> what do you do when you get unexpected turmoil? You get unexpected results coming your way. How do you respond when something is not fair or, or it seems to be completely against you? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, talking about peace how do you feel when your peace is broken and it's out of your control? Angry? Hurt? Betrayed? Abandoned? I asked you that question a couple of weeks ago, but let me ask you a follow-up to that one today. How does your faith respond? How does your faith affect what happens to you? And how does what happens to you affect your faith? I've seen this a lot just in the last 
few weeks. There's been so much that's happened around with people here in the church. Uh, things like loss. Uh, we, we got a phone call Thursday that uh, Jennifer's grandma had passed away. We weren't really expecting that. Uh, and, and we knew that you know, her days were probably numbered. We didn't have a ton of time left with her, but really just didn't expect to get the call. Hey, grandma is gone. Uh, we, we've had people in the church with diagnoses that aren't fair. And, you know, it, it, it comes and, and you can't do anything about it. We've had people who have been hurt by other people. We've had people who have, have just lost various things. And I always see in these situations, when you have something happen to you, your faith typically goes in one of two ways. It goes stronger or it goes away. It grows more resolute or it crumbles. There's usually not a good in-between there. And I think when you look at it, often, the stronger and more mature your faith is, it's like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've built your house upon the rock, when those winds and waves come that the world's going to throw, the house will stand strong because it's built on a good foundation. But when you build your house on the, the shifting and sinking sand, it's going to be washed away and blown away by all of that too. How are you building your house? Where is your faith? Is your faith strong enough to withstand those things that blow your way? I think that's what our goal hopefully has to be. Our faith in God should allow our hope to be bigger than our despair. Our faith should allow our, our, our hope and, and trust in God and the promise of God to be bigger than whatever comes our way. I was thinking back to the, the story of Jesus when he walks on water and he calls Peter to walk to him. And Peter gets out of the boat, and here's a mortal man walking on the water to God. And it says in there, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, when he saw the storm, he began to sink. I don't know, this is, this is just my thoughts on this, I don't know if that's completely literal. I don't think it is because he had to have seen the storm. He knew it was storming. He, knew, he saw the waves. He saw the waves. He saw all of this. It's when he had that split second of oh my gosh, I might not make this, that he began to sink. He let his storm and everything around him become bigger than his God. And we can do the same thing. So are you able to let your faith become bigger and your hope become bigger than whatever it is you're facing? Paul says in Romans 8, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us later. Joseph was facing a difficult situation here. He had probably no good option here, but he trusted. He trusted that what he heard from the angel was true and that God was true and that this was what was supposed to happen. And he went with it. The third person we see here is a person that's not even actually mentioned directly in the Bible, but it's a person that is inferred and it's a person that probably is kind of all of us. We're just gonna call this person the innkeeper. Again, a person, you don't actually read their name. You don't ever hear about this person again. But it could be any one of us. Just somebody going about their day, going about their business, taking care of their people, who becomes a bit of a footnote in this story. That, that's all of us. Joseph and Mary had traveled from Galilee all the way down south to Bethlehem, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And it says in Luke chapter 2 that when they uh, got there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. I think we see that last little bit there especially and, and kind of pick on this innkeeper or this homeowner or whoever this was. Say, how could you not let this person in? 
Well, first off, they, they've, scholars will look at this and say, in this culture, they were known for their hospitality, this young pregnant girl, they would have found some place for her to be. But this innkeeper, whoever this is, it's somebody who likely has filled his business with traveling businessmen or important people or large families or whatever it may possibly be. He's filled his focus with what he does. That's what we do. We fill our focus with what we do. We fill our lives with what? Families, friends, hobbies, careers, ministries, anything else that we can think of. We fill it with all of that. Those things that bring us happiness and fulfillment and joy and peace, those are good things. But if we focus on those good things too much, if we focus on the stuff that we think we can control too much, eventually what do we do? We lose sight of the fact that God is right in front of us. That God is right there, and we can miss out on that. And when we look away from him, that's where the danger can start to come in. Like Peter, we can start to sink. Put it like this in your notes, when we look away from the light long enough, we'll start to gravitate to the darkness. We'll start to find our way drifting into the darkness. If you've ever tried to uh, navigate through the woods or somewhere when you don't have any light, you don't really know where you're going. And that's where we find ourselves too often. And when you find yourself in the darkness long enough, you might actually start to create your own light. That's dangerous because we have a light, but yet we want to create our own because it's our light. It's the one that I like. And yeah, it's pretty close to what God's light is, but it's not God's light. And we follow that, and that can get us even more lost and even more surrounded by darkness around us. That's the problem that we run into. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're at a spot today where you have just wandered the darkness for so long that you don't know that you'll ever make your way out of it. You don't know how to make your way out of it. And every time you try, you just bury yourself a little bit more and a little bit more. Can I give you a reminder? It's a very, very simple reminder. But if you find yourself lost, there's a very, very simple solution to the light, and that's Jesus. And maybe you've heard it so much. Maybe you've heard it so much that, again, it just kind of rolls off. It doesn't stick anymore. But maybe we just need the reminder. Maybe you've walked with him for years. Maybe today's your first day hearing all of this. There's a simple solution to the darkness, and it's Jesus, the eternal light that has always been and that will always be. John 1 said, in the beginning, he was there. And you go down a few verses, in verse 14, it says, The word, Jesus, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. At Christmas, he came to put on our human skin to become one of us so that he could reach us to bring us back to God. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Prince of Peace, he came to save us on a simple night to simple people in a simple place. The very hope of the world didn't get a big red carpet grand entrance. He didn't need one. He wasn't riding on a white horse. He was a humble baby, and his birth was announced first to a group of lowly shepherds of all people. The greatest gift of all time, God gave it that night for us to give us hope, to give us him. As we start to wind down this, this Christmas season, these next couple of weeks of Christmas this week and that weird in-between week of Christmas and New Year's, New Year's coming, you know, right around the corner and all the busyness that's going to come this weekend and all the busyness that's going to come with, with New Year's, all that maybe, maybe work, maybe it's a busy time for you, school will kick back up in a couple weeks, it's 
It's just a lot of stuff. Keep sight of Jesus. Right in the midst of all that, keep sight of Jesus. Keep him as your light. Keep him as your focus. Stay on him. And you may say, well, how do I do that when I feel like I'm stuck in the darkness? Here's three simple ways. You can count this as your takeaway today. Three simple ways to keep Jesus as your light in the darkness. The first, worship him for who he is. Worship him for who he is. You may say, well, yeah, he's Jesus. Yeah, but sometimes you need the reminder. Go back to Matthew 1. When the angel is speaking to Joseph, says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they are to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word became flesh. Worship him for who he is. Number two, worship him for what he has done. You don't have to look very hard to see what he has done in your life. I mean, the angel just said he'll save his people from their sins, but it's even a step more than that. In 2 Timothy 1, it says he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So worship him for who he is and what he has done. And third, worship him for what he will do. You may say, well, I don't know what he'll do. That's, that's the future. If you want to know what he'll do, look at what he's done. There's a, there's a pattern. That's one reason we, we, we can face things that we don't know what they're, they're going to be because we see where he's led us to this point. We see what he's done for us already. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, Now to him, that's Jesus, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I can think and imagine of quite a bit. And you probably can too. I can think of some pretty complex, pretty big things. And it says, who can do immeasurably more than any of that, than anything I could comprehend. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Worship him. If you feel stuck, worship him. If you feel lost, Worship him. Worship has a way of bringing us back. It's like a beacon. It brings us back. And it finds that spot of hope that he brought to us. That promise that he gave to us. That we can't give to one another. That no, nobody on this earth can provide. He provided for us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's how Jesus is the light of our world. Keep him as your light. Keep, him focus, or keep focused on him. Let everything you do be through him and for him. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son. We're thankful, Lord, for the, the gift that you gave us through him, the gift of life and hope. God, I pray today if anybody's here that doesn't, doesn't know that, doesn't know you, hasn't experienced you or accepted you, Lord, you would speak to them. Speak to their heart. Let them know how much you love them. So much that you sent him to die on the cross for us. God, help them to come to know you, to experience you. God, we're so grateful for this holiday season that we get to spend so long celebrating Jesus. Celebrating him coming to this earth so that we could experience you. 
God, we pray this today in his name.